Hello, and welcome to Queer as Fact, the podcast bringing you queer history from around the world and throughout time. I'm Alice. And I'm Jason. And today we're talking about the queer language of the Philippines, known as Swadspeak or Becky. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people as the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded, and pay my respects to their elders, past and present. They are the custodians of an oral tradition far older than this podcast. We have some content warnings before we begin this episode. This episode will include discussions of historic and modern queer phobia, discussions and use of terms for queer people which are considered derogatory in some contexts, and some discussions of sex. If any of that sounds like something you don't want to listen to, feel free to skip this episode and check out our other content. So you may notice, listeners, that it is just Alice and I today. There's normally three Queer as Fact hosts here, but we are down to two. Unfortunately, we still can't record with Irene due to lockdowns, and Eli just got a vaccination, so he's out for the day. We hope to be back with three hosts, any three hosts, soon, but at the moment you've just got the two of us. So, getting into the episode, before we say anything else, I'd just like to mention that there are a lot of different names for the language we're talking about in today's episode. You would notice that I already put two just in the opening alone. So Becky is the one I'm going to be using mostly throughout this episode because it's the one most popular in current use. But there's also Beckonese and Becky Mon, which obviously draw on the same root as Becky. Swad speak is an older term for the language, and you'll also hear it called gay speak, gay lingo, and a whole lot of other names that kind of build on those words. So I'll generally be using Becky throughout the episode, but I will also use a few older terms like Swad speak in places where they're more historically appropriate. Cool. Let's start with some queerest fact geography. Where are the Philippines, Jason? Uh, they're in Southeast Asia. Good job. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Could I tell you with like a high degree of accuracy exactly which country in Southeast Asia they are, like on a blank map? No. <laughs> but they are a country in Southeast Asia. Yeah. They're just north of Indonesia. If that helps out. Okay. Are they a series of islands? Yes. Okay, that's what I thought, but yeah. I wasn't 100% sure. <laughs> yeah, so the Philippines are in Southeast Asia. A bit over 7,000 islands make up the Philippines. That's a lot of islands. It's a, it's a lot of islands. That's yeah. more islands than I thought were in the Philippines. I thought you were going to say that's more islands than I thought were in the world, which would also have seemed like a valid statement. <laughs> <laughs> no, I knew there were a lot of islands in Indonesia. Yeah, well, the Philippines is similar. The Philippines is also a very linguistically diverse country. That makes sense. It does make sense, given the number of islands there. So the two official languages today are English and Filipino. Filipino, you know, there's some complicated linguistic history here, but Filipino is basically a standardized version of the language Tagalog, which is an indigenous language to the area around the capital Manila. Across the archipelago of the Philippines, there's also about 180 other indigenous languages, the most widely spoken of which is called Cebuano, which has about as many native speakers as Tagalog does. Most of these indigenous languages are from the Malayo-Polynesian language family. That probably doesn't mean anything to you. It didn't mean anything to me until I googled it. I mean, I guess Malay and Polynesian are terms that have meaning to me. That's true. So Malay <laughs> is also in this language family, and so are Polynesian languages like Hawaiian and Maori and so forth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So, most people living in the Philippines are native speakers of one of these indigenous languages, and most have also learnt Filipino and English. So, that's your linguistic background on the Philippines before we get into the gay linguistics. <laughs> linguistics, but make it gay. Yeah. I mean, I think 
of the linguistic students I know, there's 100% of them are gay. So, <laughs> not only can I not think of a straight linguistic student I know, or a you know non queer linguistic student I know, I can't think of any non queer person I know who's even like taken a linguistics class. <laughs> linguistics is gay, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you're a uh, straight and or cis linguist listening to this, hello, welcome to queerest fact. <laughs> <laughs> So, having introduced you to the languages of the Philippines, I said in the introduction that Becky is also a language, but that's not strictly true. It's not a language in its own right in that it doesn't have its own grammar and you can't speak it completely independently of another language. Instead, it basically operates by substituting Becky vocabulary with standard vocabulary when speaking Filipino or English. So, okay. This is going to sound really stupid, but unfortunately, we don't have our usual history co-hosts, so you're stuck with me. Um, so, it's kind of like, in D&D terms, thieves can't. I don't know anything about thieves can't in D&D, but I know about thieves can't in the real world, and yes, in non-D&D terms, yes, it's like thieves can't. Yeah, so there are a lot of languages like this around the world. Polari in Britain is the most famous queer one, mm-hmm. but like there's lots that exist for various reasons, like queer reasons or thieves and so forth will or have historically used these kind of languages just to obscure what they're saying from the general public. Mm-hmm. So, in the scheme of these kind of languages, Becky is actually a very recent one, a very modern one. A lot of these languages have existed for hundreds of years, like thieves cants have been around since the medieval times at least, probably longer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Becky, as far as we know, probably originated in the 60s or 70s. In a 2008 online article for the Philippine Star newspaper, Linda Grace Carino credits the creation of the language to her friend Ricky Dalu, who in the 1970s was a theatre student at the Manila University UP Diliman. And Linda recounts how Ricky coined several now well-known Becky words. So, for example, she talks about how while in Spanish class memorizing vocabulary, he came up with the word imbierna, meaning angry or upset, from the Spanish infierno, meaning hell, to refer to the experience of memorizing vocab in a language class. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yep. And she gives similar examples of stories that involve Ricky or her and Ricky's friends around a lot of different Becky vocab. So, as Linda tells us, she, Ricky, and their friends were at university in the mid to late 70s. Around the same time, in 1977, Jose Javier Reyes wrote a Taglish, so Tagalog, English, kind of combined, adaptation of the queer American play, The Boys in the Band, which incidentally we have an episode of, if you (laughs) want to know more about that. (laughs) Hey, I love a good Um, crossover episode. Yeah. So, Reyes wrote this Taglish adaptation of The Boys in the Band and put it on, and the play's program included a glossary of the Becky, or as it was called then, Swad-speak words used in the play. Swad, incidentally, is a 1970s word used in the Philippines to mean gay. Reyes attributed the coining of the word Swad-speak to the writer and media critic Nestor Torre, who suggested the idea of adapting The Boys in the Band and worked on it with him. Hmm. So, I noticed you said earlier that it originated probably in the 60s or 70s. Yeah. So, like, do these uni students claim to have come up with this language or do they claim to have just, like, built on it significantly? Ray's, who I think was a student at the time or recently out of uni, doesn't claim to have come up with it. Linda Carino does say that Ricky Dalu and kind of their friendship group at uni came up with it. 
But the fact that she says they were at uni in the late 70s, and in the late 70s we already see it being, like, published in a theatre program and kind of talked about a bit more publicly, makes me suspect it existed earlier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I haven't come across any records of it from the 1960s. They probably exist, but they're probably not in English. But generally the fact that it seems to have come out into public knowledge in the late 70s suggests that that wasn't the moment it was invented. Yeah, that makes sense. So in 77 as well, Rays wrote an article for his university's behavioral sciences journal titled Swad Speak, a Preliminary Study. And from there, several more academic articles and studies followed, and it started being talked about quite publicly. Yeah, okay. And I guess, like, you know, I can't really blame anyone for claiming that they kind of invented this, even if they didn't, right? Because the point at which something goes from being a collection of slang words into a language, I I don't feel like that would be 100% clear. Yeah, yeah. And definitely if you're a queer uni student and your friends are using some unique queer slang and you can pinpoint some ones that you know your friends came up with, Mm. I see why it's very easy to go, oh, yeah, so we basically invented that language when we were at uni, Mm. even if you were building on something that had been used for a decade before you. Yeah. I don't think I would say that, you know, Linda is lying when she says that Ricky and her and their friends invented it. It's just not necessarily the whole story. Yeah. So, from the late 1970s onwards, following on from Razor's article, Becky became more widely known. So, that was through more academic articles and then gradually articles moving into the mainstream media, as well as through the theatre and entertainment industries. So, there were, as there are in many parts of the world, a lot of queer people in theatre and entertainment. Shocked I am. Yeah, absolutely shocking. (laughs) (laughs) And in the 1980s, in particular, the popularity of queer theatre increased and more and more queer people began appearing on TV. In the 1980s, the daily talk show Katok Nga Misses, and I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong, I can't speak Tagalog, but this daily talk show even featured a segment called Word of the Day, which explained Becky words to its general audience. Oh, that's super cool. <laughs> yeah, so it very, very quickly became just like a thing everyone knew about. Wait, so this was a talk show on like... Just on TV. Standard TV. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's not like a queer talk show. It's just a talk show <laughs> that has this queer segment. It's just Oprah. Yeah. And they're being like, hey, here's this queer language terms. Yeah, I guess the equivalent is if you imagine if there was like a drag queen on Oprah who had a segment teaching you like... Queer slang. Yeah, and, like, I, that seems coherent. Yeah, like, you can imagine that happening. It makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So, eventually, Becky had so thoroughly permeated the entertainment industry and other related industries like beauty and fashion that by 1990, scholars Don and Harriet Hart wrote that, quote, one needs to learn Swad speak in order to fully participate in the entertainment and high fashion industries. Fashion models are urged by the designers to become proficient. That's really interesting that it starts to become almost like, like, obviously it's a queer language, but it's also like an industry language. Yeah, yeah. And people writing about it today, and we'll talk a bit more about how it's, you know, become more mainstream and how it's seen today. But some people writing about it today say, now it's basically just an entertainment industry slang. Mm. And it's not that, you know, queer people don't use it anymore, but that's not its connotation anymore. Right. Okay, yeah. That does make sense. Yeah. So, Linda Carino says of Becky, or as she calls it, Swadspeak, that, quote, we used it so no one would understand us. And it's generally agreed by scholars writing about the language that, as well as being a general light-hearted queer means of self-expression, it was also created specifically so queer people could talk about 
queer topics without being understood. This leads us to the question then of how and why what was meant to be a secret queer language became so quickly mainstream in the Philippines. So much so that, as colonist Danton Ramoto wrote in 2008, quote, Even politicians now use a gay word or two to prove a controversial point or score some points with the masses. <laughs> I think it was Danton Ramoto, but it might be somebody else who commented that politicians usually use, like, very outdated words or use it in, like, a clunky and not quite correct way, which I just find very funny. I mean, yeah, that is how politicians <laughs> be. Yeah, like, as they would. <laughs> oh, look, I mean, you know, in Australia, our Prime Minister just made a reference to the crudes, so, like... <laughs> Really, I feel like that's better. I feel like that is better. I preferred when the leader of the opposition called the Prime Minister a simp on national TV. That was a beautiful day. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So the general explanation given by scholars for how Becky has managed to become so mainstream is that homosexuality is much more visible and much more accepted in the Philippines than it is in most other countries. So based on that, I want to talk a bit about this idea of the Philippines as a society which is accepting of queer people, and then also to talk a bit about the reasons behind this and the reasons behind the visibility of queer people in the Philippines. Okay, yeah. Because, I mean, my first thought was just that, like, obviously the entertainment industry has generally been a safer space for queer people than other spaces in most contexts yeah and that you know once you're in a safe space and you have this secret language you're not going to use it as secretly yeah and then other people are going to find out about it and they're (laughs) going to learn it because you know people love to be in an in group rather than an out group like it's just kind of the reverse of why you came up with this language in the first place right yeah yeah and you're right like people do want to be in an in group so they're obviously gonna start learning it when they hear it used mm. and then it loses its original purpose. And like, we do see the same thing. We'll do an episode on this one day, but we do see the same thing in England with Polari where mm. it was a secret gay language and then it became used by, I can't think of their names, two very famous radio entertainers. And then basically queer people were like, we can't use this anymore. It's on the radio now. <laughs> <laughs> it's useless to us. Yeah. Whereas in the Philippines, rather than, dying out because it no longer serves its original purpose it's just basically become a part of a lot of mainstream philippine slang which is quite cool yeah that's interesting yeah i wonder to what extent like i feel like you know if i was a queer person in one of these countries and i started hearing that language on the radio i would have that reaction but I wonder to what extent that reaction is, like, correct, right? Because, like, if you're using it secretly to protect yourself from, you know, queerphobic people, I don't think queerphobic people are the type who are going to, like, have listened to this radio <laughs> show, right? Like, like even if the radio show isn't itself queer, like, it's probably at least queer adjacent. And, you know, it, it just seems like it's very unlikely that the kinds of people you're trying to protect yourself from, I, I guess, like, you you can't be as sure of that. Yeah, yeah. And I guess especially when you're talking about, like, the UK context, and I'm talking off the top of my head here, we will research this one day, is that, like, that was at the time when homosexuality was illegal in the UK. Mm-hmm. So it was less like, oh, this guy might know I'm gay and more like I may be arrested. And then I know there's a famous point where... I don't know if it was Princess Diana or one of the other British princesses used some word or some phrase of from Polari and people were like, that is the moment Polari died. Right, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. I guess at that point, like, obviously the cops are probably researching it and stuff as well. Yeah, so yeah. Like- you know, the kind of cops that are doing entrapment and, you know, hanging out on a beat to try and pick you up and then arrest you. Those cops have probably studied Polari if they have the chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's much more strategic then. Yeah. So, 
Let's talk about attitudes to queerness in the Philippines before I start making, you know, poorly educated comments about Polari. (laughs) (laughs) So, I read a wide variety of surveys about attitudes towards queerness and queer people in the Philippines to try and get a feeling for if this claim that the Philippines is a really queer-friendly country is true. Mm -hmm. Because some people are saying, yep, the Philippines is absolutely queer-friendly, anyone can be queer there, it's fine. And then there are a bunch of queer people going, this isn't really true, this isn't what the situation actually is in daily life life for a queer person. So I tried to find some statistics. The statistics were somewhat contradictory, but I'll tell you some. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't have time to look into the details of, for example, who did all these surveys and what exactly the questions they asked were and everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But so, for example, one 2015 study found that 85% of Filipinos disagreed with the statement that same-sex marriage should be recognized. But then a 2017 poll found that 63% of people believed same-sex attracted people should enjoy the same rights as straight people. And that same 2017 poll found that 72% of people believe trans people should enjoy the same rights as cis people. So that 2017 poll seems quite positive. Mm -hmm. The 2015 poll, not so much. The 2015 poll, not so much. And those are two years apart, but I don't think that's representative of a change over time. There were a bunch of other statistics from around the same time that kind of went either way as well. Yeah, I guess there is a bit of a difference there. Like, obviously, the difference there in phrasing, right? One of these is about a specific legal change. Yeah. And one of these is about, like, sort of, you know, generally, do you think gay people should have rights? I think that definitely is a factor that one question is a really concrete thing and one's quite abstract. So, one author that I read quite a lot of who's written a lot about Philippine queer culture, Neil Garcia, described the Philippines as being a tolerant country for queer people and explained that he meant they tolerate queer people, but they don't accept them. And he gave the example of the fact that a family might be tolerant of having a queer acquaintance and, you know, be happy to have them over to dinner or whatever. But if one of their children came out, that would be a completely different matter and they would not accept that. Yeah. And I think that kind of is the same thing of when it's a kind of abstract concept, this person where you don't really have to interact with their queerness and so forth, people might be fine with that. But when it's in your own life and something concrete, people aren't comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Another statement that often comes up when talking about how the Philippines are an accepting country is that there are no laws against homosexuality in the Philippines. That is true so far as that it isn't illegal to be gay or to have gay sex in the Philippines. And since the Philippines became independent, I believe, in the 40s, that has been true. Um, however, that doesn't mean that queer people have equal legal rights. So same-sex marriage isn't recognized. There's no legal process to change your gender. And there are also no national anti-discrimination laws protecting queer people. Yeah. So, you know, obviously there's some specific legal rights there that are being deprived, but also the thing where cops the world over discriminate against queer people. You need legal protections for minority groups like that. It's, you know... Shouldn't be a super controversial thing to say. Unfortunately, it is in some places. (laughs) Yeah, and they do, you know, I said there are no national anti-discrimination laws. There are some, like, provincial ones. So, Mm. some areas have them, but not all areas have them. Mm -hmm. So, overall, it's a bit of a mixed bag, which, you know, is unsurprising. It's more nuanced than the one statement you generally read would lead you to think. Shock horror. Yeah. So, Garcia argues that the general image of the Philippines as a tolerant country accepting of queer people has actually made things more difficult for queer people in the Philippines, particularly when they look at more complex or less kind of 
public issues, so things like employment discrimination versus things like same-sex marriage. It's much harder to fight for laws against employment discrimination when everyone around you goes, but we're accepting of queer people. We've done nothing against queer people. Yeah, and I mean, also presumably there are groups campaigning for same-sex marriage. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen that. Like, having lived through same-sex marriage campaigns in Australia, we've seen how that can really, like, suck the energy out for other forms of activism within the community. Yeah, and also not only take the energy away from community organising, but also make it difficult to do other campaigns because so many people will kind of go, but you got marriage. Wasn't that it? Mm. Isn't that what you wanted? Mm. Yeah. So the general situation for queer people in Filipino society, and especially looking back over sort of the last decades of the 20th century can be summed up, according to Garcia, by a quote from a 1970s interview panel. Unfortunately, I couldn't access the footnotes of this book to tell you what interview panel (laughs) and interview in the 1970s, which Garcia quotes, where somebody says, By and large, in Filipino society, there's never really been any great prejudice against homosexuals. They are the object of ridicule, yes, but prejudice? So the general attitude is that, you know, people lightheartedly mock queer people, but that's fine. That's all good. That's not a real problem. We're not against them. Mm. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So the attitudes towards queerness in the Philippines, to broadly sum them up, I would say are less the outright hatred that we might see from conservative groups in the West, for example, and more this general attitude of what its perpetrators often see as lighthearted mockery. So there's this situation where queer people are quite visible and, you know, reasonably accepted to some degree, but their causes and issues they face are not taken very seriously. So, before we get back into the fun task of learning some queer vocab, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to do a little bit more background. And I just want to talk a little bit about the history of queerness in the Philippines and why we've got this situation where queer people are very visible, but not necessarily having the rights and the acceptance that we would ultimately like. And therefore having a secret language. Yeah, and therefore, to tie back into why we're here today, the reason queer people have a secret language and that language is no longer secret. Mm. So, queer people are definitely very visible in Filipino society and probably much more visible in Filipino society in, say, the mid to late 20th century than in other societies we often talk about on this podcast, like America or Australia or so forth. And in particular, the visible queer people are a subset of queer people referred to with the Tagalog word bakla, or the Cebuano word bayot. I'm going to use these words in this episode to talk about some of the specific commentations they have, but I do want to mention that there are some queer people in the Philippines who aren't comfortable using these words and that these words are sometimes used in a derogatory way. Conversely, there are people that self-identify with these words. Mm -hmm. So as with many queer labels, it's a complicated issue. (laughs) As per the name of this podcast. (laughs) Yep. So, bakla and similarly bayot are words used for people assigned male at birth. They're sometimes translated as gay, but they're as much words about feminine gender presentation as they are about attraction to men. Okay. So, to quote the queer Filipino-Australian filmmaker Von Patiag, I'm sorry if I said that wrong, quote, the word does not correspond directly to Western nomenclature for LGBTQIA plus identities, sitting somewhere between gay, trans, and queer. The closest English word I could think of to try and get the connotations across was queen, but generally I think we just have to accept this is a word we don't have a translation for. Mm -hmm. Just from a linguistic perspective, since this is a linguistic episode, 
The word bakla derives from a Tagalog root which refers to doubt and confusion, suggesting queer people are confused about their identities, while bayot is, according to Garcia, derived from the longer phrase babaying nayuten, I'm sorry for my pronunciation, <laughs> which translates as woman with a penis. And words with similar connotations exist in other indigenous Philippine languages. Right, okay. So to understand the position of bakla and queer people generally in Filipino culture, I want to talk a little bit about their history. And there's definitely a whole episode in providing this background. So this is a very quick summary and one day we might return to it. So in pre-colonial Filipino culture, there were respected roles within society for people assigned male at birth who presented in a feminine way. In particular, shamans known in Cebuano as Babalan and in Tagalog as Catalonan. They played roles as mediators, healers, and communicators with the spirit world. And these roles were performed both by feminine presenting people assigned male at birth and also people assigned female at birth. Okay. When the Spanish arrived in the 1500s and took control of the Philippines, they imposed their ideas of a sex and gender binary. Nonetheless, Garcia posits that, quote, despite Catholicism and 300 years of Spanish colonial rule, cross-dressing, effeminacy, and gender-transitive behavior never really disappeared in Philippine society. And he draws a continuity between the respected transfeminine Babalans and Catalonans and the high level of visibility of Bacla in modern Filipino society, where rather than being by default hidden or closeted, as queer people have been assumed to be in, for example, Australian and American society for a lot of the 20th century, Bacla are assumed to be quite public and performatively queer, but often seen as humorous or subject to varying levels of mockery. Okay, that's interesting. I know nothing about Filipino history, so I I obviously knew that colonialism was going to come in at some point. I actually didn't know which colonial power was going to be involved this like, time around. Who will it be? It's the Spanish, yeah. But yeah, okay, I guess, yeah, that's a pretty coherent explanation. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that does make sense. And obviously, you know, there's a lot more in-depth information to be given there. But I think broadly speaking, that explains the position of Bacla in Filipino society, which might at first to us just be kind of strange because it doesn't really map onto our queer experiences or the queer history of our country. Mm. So to bring all this back to Becky, the reason that we're here, (laughs) (laughs) by extension from the visibility of Bacla in Filipino society, the use of Becky has also entered the public sphere in a similar light. In an article on Becky, for example, Norberto Casabal talks about what he describes as macho-sounding radio announcers using Becky, quote, in a satirical tone – or print media using it to add colour to their writing. Okay, yeah. I see where this is kind of going. I mean, I think we've seen similar things in Western society without necessarily being related to specifically, like, queer languages. Yeah. Where, you know, you get that kind of use of queer affectations Mm. and, you know, slang and, like, things like yas queen. Yeah, I I think that's a very obvious example. Like, I think people are having really similar conversations about, like, drag slang coming from people of colour in America at the moment and how that's moved into more general use and how people feel about that. Yeah, if you want to learn more about that, check out our episode on Paris is Burning. That's true. Yeah, actually, we have a whole episode about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think this is kind of quite a similar thing happening here with Becky. Hmm. Before we move on to learning some Becky vocab, I do want to just put a couple of caveats on this conversation we've just had about queerness in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. So to quote Garcia again, 
all bakla are homosexuals, but not all homosexuals are bakla. And what he's kind of talking about here is the fact that there isn't a clear Filipino model for other queer identities. So while bakla are very visible, there's not, for example, a space in Filipino culture for those people who might be same-sex attracted men, but not very feminine presenting. Or at least, yeah, like not like a public facing model for that. Yeah, like obviously these people exist and I'm sure within sort of more inward looking queer communities there are ways to have these identities but they're not very publicly visible and therefore much less understood. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, like we see this in our society as well. Like I feel like most queer communities kind of look at stuff like the original Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Mm. I was about to just say Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, and then I remembered <laughs> it has a, a reboot. People look at that and sort of, you know, cringe a bit, right? Yeah. And it's kind of like, oh, that's not really that's not really what we're about. Yeah, and like, I know like a lot of femme lesbians like talk about this problem where they're like, how do I make people understand that I'm a lesbian even though I'm not butch? Mm. So I don't know exactly how prevalent this is now, but looking back at quotes from the 1970s, it was often accepted, even within queer circles themselves, that Baclart would form relationships with masculine men that mirrored heterosexual relationships. To quote TV and theatre director Fritz Infanta in the 1970s, so Fritz, as will be obvious from this quote, is queer, <laughs> I could never live with a guy who is a homosexual. My current steady has a girlfriend now. Fine. I even give him money to take his girl out. I like my men normal. Okay. Yeah. So there's this attitude, and this is an attitude we've seen, you know, around the world and throughout time, as we like to say, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, one partner in a male-male relationship who is the more feminine partner, I'm putting in some heavy quotes around that, is the one who's queer and the more masculine partner is not queer. Like when Fritz says, I like my men normal, and he's talking about a man who is quite masculine and has relationships with women, and a lot of these Bakla may have been in relationships with men who were even married to women and had families and so forth. It's kind of understood that the queer people are these feminine presenting men, and the others are just men who happen to sleep with men. Yeah, that's really interesting because obviously – like, that exists and, you know, feeds into the whole, like, erasure of bisexual men mm, that goes yeah. on of, like, well, you know, the idea that they're just on their way to being gay. And, yeah, this is kind of saying, you know, well, I only want to sleep with basically what is a bisexual man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, a masculine presenting bisexual man because, you know, then it's like there's some degree of normality to them in terms of their societal role. Yeah, yeah, and they can map that relationship that they're having with that man onto a heterosexual relationship. Mm. Yeah. I think it's interesting as well, and, like, obviously I did put up a picture of, you know, a bisexual man, and I talked about these men having relationships with women and so forth, but I thought it was interesting that you've used the word bisexual because in the Philippines the word bisexual has been used to describe men not necessarily who specifically have relationships with women as well as having relationships with men, but men who present masculine but have relationships with men because they're not gay, so they use bisexual to sort of talk about being between those two spaces of being a masculine man but also sleeping with men. Okay. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. In terms of – yeah. I, oh. 
I love, I, I don't know, I just really love the thing of like, queer linguistics is a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's always very interesting in terms of the way that we have a specific understanding of like gender and sexuality. Yeah. And the ways in which those differ. Mm-hmm. But then like, obviously, practically for a lot of people, there's so much overlap between them. Yeah, yeah. And that's obviously part of what's going on there, right? Is like a gendered role in society versus your kind of sexual behavior. Yeah, yeah. And I think we, in our current model that we have in our society and the language we use today, like we talk about things like the split attraction model where we talk about sexual attraction being separate to romantic attraction and then we talk about how that's separate to gender and we really delineate them all. And, you know, that's just a thing that we do. Mm. And when you start looking at the language people use in other cultures, like things like how um, Von Patiag said that bakla doesn't have a English translation, you have these words that bring these things together and we just don't have a way to say that anymore. And I think that also comes up when you're coming from a different historical context. Like you see people talk about like the gay rights movement in the like 60s and 70s and so on and say, oh, well, there weren't bi and trans people in this movement. And it's just that, gay was not as specific a term as it is now. Mm. Like today, if you say gay, I would generally think you meant somebody who was attracted to someone of the same gender. And that's a very specific thing. Whereas, you know, gay is just kind of like how we would more use queer in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously we've talked a lot about that with the words gay and lesbian (laughs) throughout this podcast (laughs) over the course of our, you know, 120 plus episodes. Yeah. So now that we've had some background on Becky and on queer culture in the Philippines, it's time to talk about how the language itself works and learn some Becky words. Exciting. Yeah. So I want to give a caveat here that Becky is a very rapidly changing language since it's not a formal written language. It's very difficult to pin it down and, you know, make any kind of concrete statements about this word means this or so forth. So, in 1993, for example, a gay organization called Katlo began to work on a Becky dictionary, which they called the Badingtionary. Bading <laughs> being a synonym for Bakla. <laughs> like, obviously, I don't know if that sounds as funny to a Filipino speaker, but it's a pretty funny phrase. That look, we'll talk about the origin of the word bading in a minute, and I think it is inherently kind of funny. I feel better about laughing at that because of the fact that it is combined with English. So, like, like by people who speak English. So, yeah. like, they know <laughs> that it sounds kind of funny. It's fine to think it's funny. They know it's funny. It's meant to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they started trying to make this dictionary. Murphy Red, who wrote a 2017 essay on Becky, talks about the idea of keeping this dictionary up to date and says that the thought of it made him shiver. <laughs> um... <laughs> So, to give an example of how rapidly or how much Becky can change, and the reason I'm telling you all of this is that, so if somebody who speaks Becky is listening to this and is like, wow, she sure is using some really outdated words, <laughs> that's my justification. <laughs> yeah, it's always like this is a history podcast. Yeah. And we're not going out and interviewing people, even if we wanted to. We couldn't right now. Yeah, we can't we- leave the five kilometers from our houses, let alone the country. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So to give an example of the ways in which Becky can change, looking at the word Indiana, which we talked about near the start, which means upset or angry, Mm -hmm. that word might also be given a diminutive ending to become Imbionita. It might be transformed into a similar sounding celebrity name, such as singer Vernie Varga, or it might simply be shortened to Im. So that's just one word and all Becky words will have this many variations and so on. 
Mm-hmm. So, just wanted to say that. So, when I use outdated examples like a politician trying to be in touch with the youths, <laughs> you won't mock me too much. Oh, no. Now, we are the politicians. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if government wants to hand over power to us, I I'll see no problem it. with that. Yeah, fine. I can't do a worse job. <laughs> so, to talk about some of the ways in which... Becky words are made. I've talked about the creation of Becky being originally motivated by the desire to have an in-group language for queer people to communicate amongst themselves. But another reason suggested by scholars for the creation of Becky is that it provides a way for queer people to reclaim slurs, not just through using them, but also by putting their own linguistic spin on them. So, bakla, for example, is used in a derogatory manner sometimes towards queer people and often described as sounding quite harsh. So, in Becky, it is sometimes given feminine or diminutive endings, which are seen to make it sound softer, more friendly, or more humorous, like the ending ing making the word bading. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll also see baklita, bakling, and Many similar words. Becky, incidentally, derives from the word bakla and is just a changing of the vowels in that word, essentially. So, Becky, as well as being the name of the language, can also be used as a synonym for bakla. Okay. And we see these kind of changes applied to other words, too. So, things like adding diminutive endings or diminutive prefixes, changing P's to F's or B's to V's to make the word sound softer to Filipino ears, and generally changes that make words sound more feminine sometimes described as sounding more like baby talk, generally just more friendly and less threatening. Hmm. In terms of vocabulary, most Becky words that I've come across focus around topics like sex, sexuality, and genitals, these being the most obvious taboo topics that queer people couldn't discuss publicly. Mm -hmm. There's a huge array of specific words for penis, for example. Pepsi is used to mean large penis. (laughs) I assume referencing the size of a Pepsi bottle. (laughs) (laughs) wow uh yeah queer history really is the same all the way across the world there was this is a little bit not safe for work okay um there there was a twitter meme going around or maybe like a year or two ago in the more not safe for work parts of the internet where people were using a can of i think it was monster Uh energy drink in a similar way in a related context in a related context (laughs) one might say well i guess queers have never changed (laughs) there's also quite a few words for sexual orientation which were some of my favorite becky words so true blue is used to mean straight which I enjoy as an Australian. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> it's a very Australian phrase. <laughs> True blue. Oh, my God. That's all I'm going to think about for the rest of my life <laughs> when, you know, someone describes themselves as a true blue Aussie. Some guy in a singlet holding a can of VB. I think this is especially funny when you think about the fact that, like, for example, these men I talked about before who are, like, masculine but sleep with men are often described as straight, even though they sleep with men. And I feel like using the phrase true blue really sums that up for an Australian. <laughs> 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 oh, incredible. Yep. Gay men, meanwhile, might be called quacknit, which is the Cebuano word for bat, based on the fact that they cruise at night. Which is also incredible. <laughs> I feel like surely... Some Filipino fantasy writer has done something with this and vampires, you know, vampires are gay, <laughs> gay men are bats. It's all I, coming together. It's all coming together. <laughs> I'm so sad that Eli is missing this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to continue on the animal theme, 
The Cebuano word for frog, bucky, is used to mean bisexual, because frogs live in both land and water. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Amphibious. Yeah. I, I think I've heard amphibious used as a euphemism for bisexual before. I have heard that, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> again, we circle back to the same themes. Yeah. Another word for bisexual is double blade, which is very cool. I like that one. Hell yeah. I'm just thinking about Darth Maul. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're just referring to, like, razors, but I will also take Darth Maul. <laughs> Darth Maul's not straight. No. So then, as well as words for sexual orientations, we've got words for sex acts. Muro army, for example, which is an illegal diving practice, is used to mean cunnilingus. Wait, an illegal diving practice? Yeah, like, what they do is they go down with heavy rocks and they drop them on reefs to drive the fish out, and then they catch the fish. Oh, okay. Cool. I Yeah, no, I've never heard of anything like that. So That's fair. I was like, I don't have time to go into this, but now you know. But the point is that it's illegal and you're diving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I get that. But I was like, do you mean like diving like commercially or like competitively in like an Olympic style? Oh, I understand the confusion. <laughs> the Tagalog word for confession, mangumpisal, is used to refer to fellatio because you're on your knees. Yep, okay. Again. <laughs> They're not the first people and they won't be the last to think about. <laughs> I feel like anyone who's engaged with Catholicism has thought about this. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Outside of words for sex, there are also a fair few general adjectives that are just used to describe people. One explanation given for the fact that there's a fair few adjectives for people in Becky is that one of the uses of Becky, back when it was more secret, was to check people out without them knowing. So obviously you need ways to describe them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the word biu from the English word beauty is used, for example. The Cebuano word for ghost, kalag, is also used to refer to someone who's skinny, which mm-hmm. I like. <laughs> <laughs> so most of these examples that I've provided so far are simply repurposing and expanding on the meanings of existing words in English, Cebuano, and Tagalog. This, along with the sound changes I've mentioned before, are two of the key ways of making Becky words. The third thing that characterizes Becky is the use of proper nouns to replace words. I just remembered where I've heard amphibious. Yeah? It's not in bisexuality. It's in gender-fluid terminology. And I think oh, it was yeah. specifically that Popeye um, <laughs> comic oh, yeah. that came up recently <laughs> <laughs> was that he was like, I'm amphibious. <laughs> I've forgotten about gender fluid Popeye. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, I've been meaning to do some research into that, so maybe look out for an episode on that in future? I don't know. I don't know how much they'll be there, but, like, it'll be fun, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, the replacing of words with proper nouns in Becky might be based on just the fact that they have a similar sound. So, the word hooli, for example, meaning catch or arrest, might become Julie Andrews or the Filipino writer and talk show host Julie Yapdaza. And both these names are used in Becky as a way to warn of approaching police. This method of creating words isn't limited to celebrities in the entertainment industry, although that is a lot of them for obvious reasons, (laughs) but it also gets applied to other well-known figures. The word payat, meaning skinny, for example, is softened by changing the P to an F, becoming fayat, and then subsequently becomes Fayatollah Khomeini, after the Iranian political leader. (laughs) I did not see that coming. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) I have seen people do wordplay like that before, but, like, that's great. I love that specific style of wordplay. Very good, because that's most of Becky, so you would love it. One of my other favourites is 
using the word cheese whiz to refer to rumours because it sounds like the Tagalog word chismis. <laughs> Proper names in Becky might also refer to traits associated with a person rather than the sound of their name. So Camilla Parker Bowles, for example, is used to refer to someone who's considered an evil stepmother figure. Someone who undergoes a transformation or a makeover might be called Optimus Prime or <laughs> Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> Both incredible. Amazing. NPA, the New Philippine Army, which is the armed branch of the Communist Party, is used to mean leave since the NPA are always going into hiding. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so especially in these kind of examples where they're drawing on proper nouns and names, Becky differs a lot across class and education levels. So, university-educated Becky speakers might use literary, political, or scientific references when creating new words. So, for example, the word carry, which is used in Becky to mean attractive, based on the English phrase to carry yourself well, becomes Karima Polotan Tuvera, who is a famous Filipino essayist. But you're not going to hear that kind of word used, for example, in a beauty salon or so forth. That's going to be used in university Becky. Mm -hmm. Conversely, Becky speakers who aren't familiar with these kind of references are more likely to use words based on puns or on the names of celebrities from the entertainment industry. So, for example, a word used for rain in Becky might be Jolanus Morissette, referring to the name of the singer Alanis Morissette and referencing her song Ironic with the line, it's like rain on your wedding day, and also at the same time playing on the Tagalog word ulan, which means rain. And adding a J on the start, which is one of those methods I referenced at the start of softening words to make them Becky words. There's a lot going on there. (laughs) This is fantastic. Just the elaborate construction of these words. It is pretty great. So good. Yep. As well as class variation, there's also some regional variation. Speakers of Becky will generally draw on the vocab as languages they're familiar with, whether that's Cebuano, Tagalog, or any other Filipino language. So there are also some quirks of Becky which are more common in specific geographical areas. Cebuano speakers in the country's central region, for example, often use the technique of reversing words to create new ones. So the word dili, meaning no, might become ilid, or the word uyab, meaning lover, becomes bayu. Oh, yeah. So that was my Becky vocab lesson for you. (laughs) I I, loved it. That's good. I had so many more written down in my notes. (laughs) (laughs) I can only pick a limited number. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I just wanted to wrap up a little bit by talking about Becky in the Philippines today. So today, Will Dasevich, who is a straight American Filipino vlogger who's made some viral videos about Becky, says that he hears Becky every day from both gay and straight people. It appears in print media, it's on TV, it's on the radio, and as I said before, it even turns up in the speeches of politicians. Hmm. So, where it once may have been a language used by queer people to avoid being understood by those around them, Becky is now too widely understood to serve that purpose. Yeah, I guess that makes a lot of sense in a country where people are already multilingual. Yeah, and that's definitely, I didn't talk about that much in this episode, but that's definitely something that came up as I was reading, was it's much easier for much more slang to come up in language and people to be much more versatile with the way they use language when people are already constantly switching between English and Tagalog and perhaps the native language that they speak. Yeah, that's really interesting to think about. Because, yeah, that's definitely something, like, 
you know, I've noticed in my life is that like, you know, when you meet people who speak multiple languages, they do tend to have fun slang, I feel. Yeah, much more than people who only have one language to draw on. Mm. Yeah. So, Rays, who wrote that original translation of Boys in the Band, argues that as the lines blur between the in-group and out-groups of Becky speakers, the lines between gay and straight cultures in the Philippines also blur. Norberto Casabal, in a 2003 article on Becky, takes this argument further, suggesting that the acceptance and mainstream use of Becky forces the general population of the Philippines to engage with and accept queerness. It's hard to quantify whether that's really true or not, but it's a really nice outcome to think about the fact that at least this makes people engage more and think more about queer culture. Yeah, yeah, I think that's something, again, that we talked about a lot in the Paris is Burning episode of, like, to what extent mainstreaming that kind of subcultural signifier, to what extent that serves a purpose in terms of furthering the cause of queer rights, and to what extent it's just kind of appropriating that yeah. and it becoming a sort of mainstream thing and therefore losing its value. And I think it depends on how much those words, for example, are separated from the original people who used them. Like, Becky, despite being quite widely used in the Philippines, and I talked about how, for example, it's just kind of seen as an entertainment industry language, it still is associated with queer people. Mm. Like, people still know that this slang they're using is comes from that queer source. So, I think that does make people engage with those ideas a bit. Whereas, if you just start, and I think it's probably easier with the internet existing, if you just start picking up words without really knowing who you're picking them up from and so forth then those words lose any political power they may have had. Yeah, I guess if, you know, if you've got a politician using some of these words, but then, like, you know, not then supporting the queer community or whatever. Yeah. Like, if there's some kind of acknowledgement of that when that occurs and the hypocrisy that involves, then I guess there is still some value there, right? Yeah. I suppose it's just, you know, as with most things, it's really complicated. Yeah. As to what value it's providing and where it's just sort of being appropriated. Yeah, yeah. And I think as with everything, it's very nuanced. It's happening on a case-by-case basis. Mm. With that, we've been Queer as Fact. I'm Alice. I'm Jason. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find the rest of our content on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is you find your podcasts. You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr as Queer as Fact. Or you can email us directly at queerasfact at gmail.com. If you want to support our podcast financially, you can find us on Patreon and become a patron of the podcast. That gives you a variety of perks, including getting to vote on the topics of our episodes. And today's episode topic was chosen partly by our patrons. It was a tie, so I decided the ultimate outcome. (laughs) (laughs) But they had input. And if you want to support us financially in a more one-off way, you can also check out our Redbubble store and buy some of our merch there. Or if you don't want to support us financially, but you do still want to support our podcast in some way, you can tell all your friends how much you love Queer as Fact and get them to listen to it too. (laughs) If you want to find links to everything I've just mentioned, as well as sources for our episodes, you can visit our website, which is queerasfact.com. You'll also find there the address of our PO box if you want to write us some physical mail. We'll be back on the 15th of September. Thanks for listening and we'll see you then.